lots of close calls. Things have been really precarious for a while. And uh, what's going to happen here? First uh, Samuel chapter 20, we're really looking at David. And we're thinking about how David is feeling about all this, what he's seeing in all this, how this is affecting him. And uh, there's a lot of reading in this chapter. Uh, but we're going to kind of try to take it in uh, uh, some fairly large chunks and see basically what's going on uh, with David. So chapter 20, somebody who likes to read, read 1 to 23. David fled from Naoth and Rola and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, Tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at, table, at the table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked, asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with, you, well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is deterred by him. Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, For be it from you, if I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David, then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send a disclo and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you, and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you where you hide yourself. When the matter was at hand, was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot a, at a mark. And behold, I will send the young man, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the young man, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are behind, beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. Okay, let's stop there. And uh, 
Well, uh, do you see the situation? David sees Saul as constantly seeking his life. Jonathan, maybe not so much. After all, Saul is Jonathan, or Jonathan is Saul's son, and Jonathan feels like, well, Saul was really still trying to kill you, I would know it. But David's pretty sure Saul's out to get him, and he makes a statement in verse 3 that I consider to be a key, not only to this chapter, but to the next couple of chapters as well. In verse 3, David says, Truly as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. David says, I am almost a god. I am just about to die. There's only a step between me and death. What do you think about that statement? It's always true. Sort of. <laughs> it is for us. But he means it in the sense that Saul's just about to kill him. I mean, he's just, he has escaped so many times. So close. He has so many close calls, we'd say, that Saul's going to kill him. I mean, you know, you just can't have that many close calls and one of them not get you. I think that's his idea. <laughs> what do you think about? Why would you say that? What was wrong with that, that statement? God had said he was going to be king. Isn't he anointed by God as the next king? Can he possibly die before God's will is executed and him becoming the king? As far as I know, God didn't tell how long he would be king. I suppose after he assumes the kingship that he could die at any moment. But I really don't think it is possible for him to die since God's purpose is for him to be king and he's not been put in as king yet. And furthermore, God's will will be done. If it's God's will to die, then so be it. So I see this as a moment when David's faith is faltering. Quite understandable from a human standpoint, after all he's going through, after all of the uh, close calls from a human standpoint. I mean, most of us would have had, uh, a, you know, been in Panic City long before David. But the truth is, he should have trusted in God that he would become king. And even if he hadn't had that promise, he should have trusted in God that God's will be done. He just needs to keep doing the right thing. So I believe that this is a moment where David's faith begins to falter. Again, I'm not trying to be unfairly critical of David. Because I think it is fair to put this in the context of how strong his faith has been. But you know, when a fairly strong faith continues to be pummeled, there are times when most of us end up weakening. And we end up sort of, you know, starting to doubt more and question more and reason more from a human standpoint. I believe that's a key to what happens. That, the, that David is starting to think that maybe he's not going to make it if he doesn't do something. Well, what's the something? 
Well, he tells Jonathan about all this, and, 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 and he's, got, he's got this idea about what he can do to kind of uh, figure out if David's really still out to get him or not. He, there's going to be this feast, and he's going to be gone. And he's, he's Saul's son-in-law, so it's customary for him to be, you know, at the holidays, you know, with the family. And uh, when David's gone, when it, whenever Saul mentions that Jonathan's supposed to say he's gone to be with his family in Bethlehem at the New Moon Festival. And if Saul gets all mad, then we'll know Saul is still trying to kill David. And if Saul's fine with it, then that'll be a sign that Saul's not still trying to kill David, and Jonathan was right about it. And uh, they set up kind of this sign that at a certain time, David will be hiding in the field, and Jonathan will shoot some arrows, and based upon what he says to the boy who's going to get the arrows, then he'll know whether or not the coast is clear, and he can come back, or whether or not he better get away, because... Saul still is trying to kill him. That's the overall scenario here. There's a few details we need to look at with that. But does that make some sense? Do you understand what the test is, essentially, that they're giving? This is just going to be a way for Jonathan to secretly communicate with David what Saul's reaction was when Jonathan says he went back home to the fam his family for the New Moon Festival. Cameron. Is it true though? Is he really going back and is the feast even real? I suspect the feast was real. If the feast wasn't real, it wouldn't make sense. Uh, was he really going back or was this just kind of a story they told? Story. I preached it both ways. <laughs> Not usually the same sermon, but. <laughs> I used to be pretty sure that it really was true, but I've about decided I don't think it was. Uh, there's, there's some things you can say on either side of that, but I, I'm a little bit more, I, some people have argued with me about it enough, I've not been convinced that I think he just made it up and he probably wasn't there. Uh, but I don't know, somebody want to defend a point of view on that? No, why, did, why did you preach? He lied. Why did you preach? You didn't lie. Well, I guess I just assumed at first that David would tell the truth and that he went to that and then at a certain time they said he'd be in the field after he'd been at the feast. But it really never says he And it almost sounds more like they're just making the story up. So I don't have a strong conviction on that view, but really I do think it's the more natural reading of the text now that I read it, that they just kind of concocted this, not that they really went through it. Yeah. Um, in the chapter before, chapter 19, Saul's chasing David around trying to kill him, but in this chapter, he's expecting to be at this feast. Is this like running in chronological order? Or? I think so. I think this has kind of been the pattern. You know, Saul will go through these fits of uh, temporary insanity, paranoia, manic depressive, I don't know, and he tries to kill David, and then everything's okay, and David comes back around, and then he tries to kill him. You know, you can understand why David's uh, a little nervous about this uh, procedure. So, but that seems to have been the way it's been even in the past. Ralph? Uh, well, I think that he's growing up here, because uh, David's growing up because he's going to spirit at him, and he thinks, He's not kidding. This is this is real. It was like I don't think it's like a blind fix. Sometimes 
when we bleed, uh, the reason why, okay, I have to tell the little story, uh, uh, last story here, because the reason why I see this is because growing up, we, we were taught the Bible and everything, and, you know, it's like, they said, oh, God is great, and I love Jesus, whatever, not, and then with, you have the, you don't have the reason to, I didn't have the reason to, to say these things, but, okay, well, when David was, when he said this, okay, when he said to Jonathan that, you know, your father is trying to kill me. This is real. He's been throwing his spirit, and, you know, but he's still trying to do the right thing. Knowing the reason why he said this, he noticed that he, he recognized that the threat, and he recognized the sin, he recognized all these things. And I think that can apply to our life as well as that, you know, my life is, all the thing out there was real, you know, but we still got to do the right thing to do, you know, well, knowing this, uh, these, all these things are real. Yeah. There's no doubt, David's already been recognizing Saul's trying to kill him. This is one step beyond that, saying, I'm about to die. He's about to be successful. Now, one of the things that's kind of tough as we go through a story like this, a study like this, is that you really need to read this chapter in light of like the next chapter and the whole book. Well, I already know the next chapter, David falls on his face and does really badly and does a bunch of wrong things because of this. So that leads me when I'm reading this to realize, you know where that started? Was this faltering faith back here where he doesn't just acknowledge the truth, Saul's trying to kill me, but he actually goes a step farther and says he's about to succeed. I'm afraid I'm not going to make it. So I'm reading this in the light of what I know is about to happen. Mike? Chris? And David would have known the history, and God's done this before with other people that, and has fulfilled his promise with Abraham, with Joseph, with others. And there's many other stories in, in the Bible where the same thing that you can think of, even those that wanted to end their life, if God wasn't done with them, like Jonah, you can't end it even if you go overboard. It's not your choice. God has said that this is going to be, you're going to be king whether you want it or not now. So there's, there's no way to change it. Think of Paul going to Rome, uh, Jesus going to the cross. You know, there's times they tried to kill him, but it wasn't his time. So, if we are supposed to look at all of our circumstances and say, the will of the Lord is being done, and I don't just see that I'm in a real tight spot and throw up my hands in despair and think I can't trust God anymore, because God has put lots of his servants in tough spots, and he's delivered them, and he's caused his will to be done, then it means in practice, in my life, in every situation, no matter whether it's working out the way I want it to, or think it ought to or not, I trust God. I mean, if I was Joseph in Egypt, Egyptian prison, I would think what happened to the Lord. But we look at the rest of the story, we know what was happening with the Lord. But he couldn't see that then. You may not be able to see today, tomorrow, or ten years from now, why God's letting you go through that, but be faithful and trust God. That's what we have to do. And that's all we can know. These, these men in the Bible and women who went through really tough things and, and then you saw what God was doing, they didn't see that until they got to that point. And we won't see it until we get to that point either. So, yeah. Okay, this really confused me. Sorry. No, 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 that's that part. Saul just like forget that David had supposedly 
Good luck. Because he expected him to still come to the feast, even though he had supposedly threatened his wife, who was Saul. Saul is not the world's most rational man at this point. <laughs> I mean, I say, why would you expect a guy you've thrown a spear at a couple of times to come? You know, even. I mean, he was using his daughter as a pawn already, so maybe he didn't care at that point. Maybe not. I don't know. I, Saul is a confused man. He doesn't have the look. Michael. Something uh, uh, Dan mentioned earlier about keeping his eyes on the Lord earlier, he's glanced away. They're like Peter. Yes. And what we're about to see what awful things can happen, you know, when when that when we look away for a moment, how far we can get off the Lord. Absolutely. He's looking at the human danger, not at the Lord's security. And, and that makes all the difference. You look around at what's going on, and it looks one way. You look at the Lord, it looks different. Yeah, great point. Okay. Well, that's the situation. Now look at something else here. Um, you've got this conversation between Jonathan and David. And Jonathan is telling David, the end of verse 13, he says, May the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. Jonathan is acknowledging that David's going to take over the kingship. He says, If I am still alive, please be kind to me. Don't cut off your kindness to my house forever. And, and they make the kind of this covenant. And David vows that you know he will he will be a generous with Jonathan and his family. You see, they have this strong love and commitment to each other. But it's amazing to me that Jonathan is still so committed to David when he realizes it's David that's going to take over and not himself. And it really shows you that he truly loves David. You do not ever envy a person that you love. You. You know, it's kind of like John the Baptist rejoicing when Jesus took over. That was the right thing. Jonathan will rejoice that David, his wonderful friend, will be the next king and not himself. So I just think that the, the, the friendship between Jonathan and David has just a lot of aspects that are really instructive and edifying for us. Other thoughts or comments through 23? What do you mean about that? The lack of envy and jealousy that Jonathan has is all that would have been required for Jonathan to do in order to let David get out of the way would be to do nothing. I mean, all it required was yeah. him to just to sit back and not take initiative. And it takes Jonathan going out of his way, putting his own neck out, to, in order to save David. So it's not even just like a he's just not retaliating; he's fighting for David in all. Of Great point. I agree. Was Saul not aware of their deep friendship? I mean, you know, it seems like Jonathan's getting really close and prying for information. You think Saul would figure that out? Well, I think Saul ends up turning on Jonathan because of his friendship with him. Yeah. All right, well, let's look at that. 24 to 33. <coughs> So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on the seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. 
Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, Something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the mill, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and said to him, You son of a, of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul's father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved after David because his father had disgraced him. So, David hides in the field, new moon comes, David's not at Saul's table. Saul thinks, oh, he's probably just unclean for a day or whatever. Second day, he's not there. So Saul says, where's David? And Jonathan says, oh, he has to go to Bethlehem for this new moon festival at his family's house and all that. That's why he hasn't come. And when the subject was David, it almost takes nothing to set Saul off. He just is enraged. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Who's he talking to? His son. He's uh, reviling his ancestry, but uh, I think the uh, man that his uh, wife failed with was him, not Jonathan. Um, and uh, he says, you're choosing the son of Jesse to your own shape. He says, look, Jonathan, you're opting for David. It's cutting you out of the kingship. This is hurting you. You know, you're, you're, you're risking your own uh, uh, role as king. And Jonathan said, why should he put me to death? What has he done? And what does Saul do? Why should he be put to death, rather? What has he done? And what does Saul do? Typical response. Throws the spear at Jonathan. And Jonathan, he tries to kill his own son. So much for being worried about, you know, whether or not Jonathan could be the next king. <laughs> you know, isn't that amazing the depths that somebody can descend to when God leaves him? He turns and tries to kill Jonathan. Is there much question now about Saul's attitude toward David? You know, I think David got that one right. Saul was out to get him for real now. And is even angry and ready to kill Jonathan over Saul. What a terrible situation. What a terrible attitude on Saul's part. He's just, he's so filled with bitterness and jealousy and rage. He can't even think straight. 
I mean, this, this is ridiculous. But, but it's, people, we, we talk about people being deranged and things like that, but sometimes it's just a matter of how degraded, you know, a life of sin and jealousy and bitterness and all that can take you. Because it just takes you farther and farther away from God and into more and more insanity when it's all said and done. Comments and thoughts? Just two small questions on the story, just kind of clarification. Um, I didn't realize before is David, is David in the field for like the whole two days or whatever, just hiding in the same place in the field? I don't know. Okay. And then uh, is, uh, sorry, uh, is Saul just, is Saul just a really bad aim with his spear? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, in, they're in talking distance right there. I mean, it's, it seemed to me it looks like he got done just talking to him and threw a spear at him. So it's, it seems to me like it's like how do you miss when they're talking to each other? I mean, my, what I'm tempted to say is. When you get that angry, you probably don't have much aim. But maybe the better answer is the Lord's superintendent. Yeah. The other question would be why he brought his spear to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't got that to that one either. But, uh, I guess he uses it from time to time. <laughs> yeah, he's eating uh, with it. <laughs> Yes, David. Uh, is this the first time that Saul and Jonathan realized that David's going to be king? I think it's the first time that's really acknowledged by them. I, I assume it's dawned on them over a period of time. In fact, you have to wonder if in the back of Saul's mind, he didn't figure that out pretty quick. Because Saul really knew God had selected him as a king. I mean, so this is the first time we hear him acknowledge it, but I wonder how quickly. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised when he starts hearing this business about David's killed of ten thousands if it's not crossing his mind, and that may be part of the reason he's so angry today. Yeah. Um, to me, the way that Saul reacts to Jonathan's story shows that, um, to me, shows that David and him had decided on a measure of deceit and sort of like. The dad sees through the son's attempts to pull the shade over his eyes. Perhaps, but it's still like, well, who cares? Why does it matter where David's at or what he's saying about it? For that matter, it just shows you how he just, I think he's, uh, he's out to get David no matter what. And the fact that Jonathan would even talk to David, perhaps, I guess, what? I mean, I, I think I've heard all along that you know you need to be careful who you choose as your friends and everything. I'm not sure if I've had a friend that I, you know, say this like that Jonathan and David relationship. But when I see what Saul said that you know you're choosing your friend here to your own shame, and I think about how hard it is to cut off <coughs> relationships when it really is to our own uh, when it's hurting us, you know, in a spiritual way. Now I think I think this is something that we really take seriously that like. <coughs> Our, our relationships with people are, are really serious in nature, where they can be for our sh truly for our shame, for our um, to hurt us. You know, I mean, I know that Saul is insane at this point. You know, it's not true what he's saying, but uh, I think it's something important. Whether it be friends or whether it be dating, things like that. Sure. Sure. I mean, continuing on what Blake was saying, 
uh, the more I read, uh, I realize how good a friend Jonathan is to uh, David. Um, if you think back to the disciples, uh, they were threatened with death and they, they broke under pressure. Uh, imagine if you know they they had this, the uh, courage or the faith as that uh, Jonathan has. Because mm -hmm. I mean, he risked uh, his father killing him. Jonathan's very loyal to David, and we ought to be that loyal to the Lord, Michael. They wanted a king just like all the other nations, and they got one. They got, they got a selfish king who was going to take everything. They got a selfish king who was going to be proud and be blinded and lead the nation <coughs> away from the Lord. And I think maybe even Jonathan in verse 14 knows more about what the other nations would do to those who descended from that previous king. So here's for his own life. Um, I don't even know if Saul sees that yet, that well, what happens to my family after I'm gone and there's another king and they'll wipe out. Um, maybe not, maybe Jonathan doesn't believe David will do that, but maybe somebody who's gone over David will, will take his own life um, and seeks, seeks refuge from David. Um, but they, they wanted a king just like everybody else. Because he's, he's left the Lord, that's yeah, exactly. David. It's interesting, just uh, Jonathan's statement in verse 32, where he says, why should he put to death? What has he done? Uh, identical to Pilate's statement in Jesus' trial. You know, David is the innocent sufferer here. Jesus is the innocent sufferer. Uh, at least David had the consolation that Jonathan was on his side, but Jesus was forsaken by everyone, including Pilate. Good point. <coughs> The Bible has so many people who are so interested in leaving a legacy for themselves that their name would be remembered. Um, you see this one, the, the, the man who built, the rich man who built bigger barns, uh, the, the rich man in Lazarus, was just so interested in, in building up a name for themselves, leaving a legacy. And I've heard Christians today um, say, well, one day I'm going to be famous. Uh, people will know who I am. They may know me for generations. Um, if our the only legacy that we should ever want is to be known as someone who was a servant of God, if your identity is not completely and totally wrapped up in, in in giving glory to God, what else is there? There are so many people out there with their names on buildings. If you go to any college campus, it's you know the the Oakley STEM Center or something that has the name on it, but nobody's going to remember who that person was generations from now. The only the only type of legacy that you can have that really is worth anything is being a servant of the Lord and, and bringing Him more glory and adding to His legacy. Amen. Not for your own. Amen. Yeah. We really see um, another example of how life can get when you turn your back upon the Lord. And here we see Saul you know, throwing a spear at his own son. And I think uh, probably, probably most of us have had some sort of a spear thrown at us by someone else who did not love the Lord, and, and I think we can all kind of relate to how powerful that and how powerful that can hurt us. And uh, I think we just need to think very seriously about making sure that we have no spears in our hands uh, when we use the love that we have to the Lord to know how to treat one another. Good point, Josh. I think as we've all been repeatedly saying, the point of the story is standing up for what's right, standing up for God's decisions, being focused on God. An aspect of the story 
Uh, it's, this is a like messed up family situation. <laughs> you bet. And, 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 and for David, it continues through his life. Um, but that's not the point of the story. Despite all of that, the point is to focus on God. And I think a lot of us can yes. relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. The Lord's will is being done. God being with David is a very powerful thing when you see that in the course of the whole story. Very good. John. I know how life without God makes people, and I think you see that in different ways. You know, some people react to it differently, but, um, you know, you've already mentioned manic depression or whatever, like mental illness, like, I mean, this is just screaming at me. I'm, this guy's crazy, and we see that, but, like, I think we've known people like this in our lives, and, and, you, and I, I've been guilty of just forcing the fact that they're not trusting God enough you know, when I think there might be more issues there. And I don't know how to deal with that. I'm not good at it. But, you know, I don't know. Like, is that something that you have to be careful with? Like, when saying, you know, the reason your life is crazy, the reason you react this way is because, I mean, we all know it's because of sin. But there are there other factors that some people have to face that some people don't? Well, I think... What we can see is in Saul's life, as far as Saul is concerned, he is. I don't know what the diagnosis would be, but he's complicated. You know, he's doing some really ridiculous things. He's paranoid. He's, you know, irrational. But certainly, sin leads to that. I think that's what we see: is that when I become selfish and jealous and prideful and the Lord leaves me and I continue in that that I do things that are really ridiculous because I do not reason well and I do not have my emotions and balance and, and all that when I'm not with the Lord. I think that's the lesson we need as far as for this study is that here's what's going to happen you know ultimately as we leave the Lord and, and, and we will see that a lot with people who don't love the Lord and who don't stay with the Lord. Is that sometimes it's like, wow, they will do things that that doesn't even really make sense. But, but how would we have good judgment when we re- reject the source of all wisdom and judgment and righteousness? So for, for me, you know, it's like, wow, I really need to, you know, stay with the Lord Look what's going to happen if I don't. Cameron. We keep on upping Jonathan and how he's doing good and he's faithful. And he did end up doing good. Or more of God did good through him. But he, in the act of doing good, he sinned by lying. If he did lie in this, which I agree with you and I think he did lie. Because um, he said that he, David was commanded by his brother Simon to be there or whatever it is. And I don't see that anywhere. And so, how do you think it would have been, or how could he um, have done it in the right way that would have not been sending to get the good done? Well, who knows? Probably all kinds of things he could have done. Uh, if, but he, I, if, if we are right that this was dishonest, then it shouldn't have been dishonest. <laughs> Anything else? 35 to 42? 
In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field to an appointment with David, and with him a little boy. And he said to the boy, Run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of an arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stray. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And David gave his weapons to his, to his boy and said to him, Go, and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in, the play, go in peace, because we have, we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Okay, so Jonathan takes this boy out into the field where David was hiding, and they go through this deal with the arrows. He shoots the arrow, the lad's running to reach it, and as it has been already arranged, Jonathan tells the boy, hey, the arrow's beyond you. And then he even says, hurry, be quick, don't stay. Now that sounds like he's talking about the arrow, but we know this is kind of a code for David who's hiding somewhere to learn that he needs to leave and he needs to do it in a hurry. So that's what he's communicating. Now, I assume that maybe, maybe this is supposition to some extent, but, but my, my assumption is that David and Jonathan thought it possible that they would be being watched, or there would be other people there, and that they would not be able to have any actual conversation between them. As it turns out, when Jonathan sends the lad back to the city with his weapons, he and David are actually able to meet and talk. Uh, perhaps there wasn't anybody there watching. Or maybe even, we might, another option would be, they feel such strong emotion that they throw caution to the wind and they talk to each other anyway. That would be perhaps another way of looking at that. But however that is, they actually talk to each other, they kissed each other, they wept together, and Jonathan says, the Lord be between us and our descendants forever, and they leave. This is a very emotional time, very difficult time. I mean, David's gonna be on the run, he knows he can't be around the palace anymore. Who knows if he and Jonathan will see each other again? I think that would be their understanding about that. So it's a, a very difficult time. Uh, obviously, what even Jonathan communicated when he spoke to the, the, the boy was, Saul didn't react well, you've got to look. Sad, you see. Comments? Is there a significance to the bowing, three, bowing his face to the ground three times? Respect. Something like that. Well, I want you to see what happens in the next chapter. I think this is a key chapter, not always correctly understood. I think. <laughs>